is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name is Dan Fitzgerald and thanks for joining me on the program this Wednesday the 8th of March. Coming up we're going to cross to Uruminna Station where a group of women from cattle stations across the Territory are gathered at a lunch for International Women's Day. We'll take you there soon. Rain has continued to fall in the Barkley overnight as that tropical low just parks itself in the Gulf of Carpentaria. We're going to cross to one station to see how they're faring. Yeah, it's very, very wet and windy here at the moment. It's Yeah, we've had wet days every day in March so far. And we'll also be talking about the value of Australia's seafood sector. Is it being accurately reflected in Abares data? Why is it important? Because if we don't capture their value in jobs in regional Australia, people who are in policy making will make poor decisions about people's future life. Yeah, those stories and plenty more to come on the Country Hour today. But first up, it is International Women's Day and we all know the power of a great leader. And when you're living remotely, those leadership qualities, well, they can be even more crucial. And we know that more and more on cattle stations across the north, those leadership positions, well, they're being taken up by women. Tammy Kruko has years of experience in the NT pastoral industry, working her way up from a young Jillaroo to a station manager She's now turning her focus to teaching others, especially women, in the industry about self-leadership. And she's been busy running workshops across the north, supported by Meat and Livestock Australia. Max Rowley went along to a workshop in Catherine to find out more. What we're doing today is not to be, you know, go home, fold it up, put it in, you know, the bottom of the cupboard and don't revisit it. So the best way that we can keep growing as an individual and as a team my name's Tammy Crooko and I'm founder of Tammy Crooko Coaching. Now have accountability on what you're going to work on with your team. So Take me through what you're doing today and, and why. Yep. So we have a two-day workshop and it's called Lead with Certainty. And I run it across the north and, and down in Queensland and especially for beef producers. So... It's been um, supported by Meat Livestock Australia's profitable grazing systems and we really want to get across about virtually that you can lead by being you. So my journey is that I was in leadership for a long time on stations and it led to burnout and I realised that I wasn't leading by being me. So I wanted to bring the tools and skills that I've learnt to other producers and people within their team so they can to work out who they are and and be able to lead by just being them. Yeah tell me a bit more about that experience that you had in coming through you know the cattle industry and working from the bottom to to more management position. Yep so um, started with a large pastoral company and um, started all the fun jobs of being Jillaroo and met my partner and and got married and in that time we worked our way up in, in in positions and we were given little skills, but not so much the skills to be able to lead people. And yeah, it was just doing what we thought we had to do and what leaders before us did. And it wasn't really, um, well, not speaking for my partner, but it wasn't me. So 
the burnout was the biggest realisation, I suppose, for, for me. And, and I don't want anyone else to experience that. And that's why I'm giving, you know, out here teaching the skills and, and trying to make people more aware of themselves and others to be able to pick them up as well. And so what are the skills that you're trying to get across in, in these sessions? Yep. So we look a lot of into what are their intentions in, in life and who do they want to be as a leader and who do they aspire to be. We also look at what their values are that they hold within themselves and what they'd like to be in their team. But 80% of success in any business is mindset. So if we've got leaders and, and we've got a good mindset, our businesses are going to succeed. And so for you, Tammy, what makes a great leader? I think um, someone that has a good understanding of themselves, that's trustworthy, reliable and has openness to growth and learn. Um, I think the biggest thing is is you know if someone's not being themselves and you know if they're hiding things, you know all the rest of it. But if we can be approachable and be able to inspire other people then we're on a winning wicket and something i picked up on from the workshop was also about seeing the strengths in others and being able to help them realize those strengths and using those strengths yeah 100 percent. i mean we're all born different we all have different strengths we all have different characteristics and it's being able to identify where the strengths are of the people in your team and being able to put them in appropriate positions within your team to be able to get the best out of them but also get the best for your business. In terms of the cattle industry nowadays, are you seeing a change in who becomes leaders and who who, who is looked up to on a station? Yeah, 100%. So I think on the cattle stations, obviously, well, it's not obvious, but there's a lot more um, females coming into positions. And I suppose before you would look at a leader on a station as very direct and strong, uh, like more of a strong personality, where I believe now that, and this is what I'm trying to, you know, get across and teach these people, is that you don't have to have that personality to be a leader. You can still lead by being who you are. You just have to have good systems in place and you have to have good accountability in what your processes and standards are. And you're holding these workshops right across Northern Australia. Leadership is obviously, you know, a great skill wherever you are, but what makes it really important in the North? Leadership's important in the North because we're living and working together more more so than any and it, we just have to be aware of other people and ourselves to be able to make it make it work really and and if you don't have a good leader or someone's um, not up to the job then it the ripple effect is on your on your people right so you're going to have unhappy staff members they're going to be probably doing a lot of talking behind back and a lot of gossiping Um, there's no clear direction so a a leader needs a you know to be able to have that clear direction and if we if they don't have the clear direction and they're not a good leader the people aren't going to stay so we want people to stay in the industry. So if we can give um, more people leadership skills and, you know, you don't have to have a title of a leader to be a leader. We're going to have a look at this in teams. So what we've done is individually is you've got um, your own personal disc profile. So out of that, I created what your team would look like if you guys were all working together every day. I'm Maddie Staff. I, with my partner, oversee Nicholson Station, which is the outstation for Flora Valley and on the NTWA border. Take me through why you, you know, signed up for this leadership course. 
Uh, it was a good way for us to enhance our skills and, you know, we want to develop skills that we might not have already had and learn things that we've not yet been exposed to in the industry before. So it was a good way to try and learn new skills and continue developing our own, yeah. Are there any skills that you, you already know that you will be able to incorporate, you know, into, into your station work? Um, I think just time management and, yeah, dealing with emotions and reading people a bit better and seeing if people are having an off day and kind of approaching that in a different way than what we might have done in the past. So uh, helping them along the way and trying to get, encourage keeping them around because, yeah, it's an industry that it needs it needs people around and we want to support them the best we can and it's, yeah, something that... I think I never really focused on before, but it's something I'm going to take in now and really read people's body language to see if I can help in any way. What is the, I guess, more traditional way of doing things than on a station? You know, uh, someone's having a hard day. Is it? What's the response? I think I grew up in New South Wales with a pretty, pretty tough father who said, "Suck it up and deal with it." And I think I've followed that through with me, and that's that's definitely not the approach it should be. So it's always been, "Suck it up, get on with it," and do your job but now I think it needs to be addressed and we need to read people and understand that people are going to have off days and we just need to support them and encourage them and do the best we can to yeah provide for them. I think it also comes down to your, your crew becomes kind of your family for the year as well so it's important to keep the morale high and support each other because at the end of the day you're all in it together uh, there's there's yeah, there's no I in team and everyone there is to is wanting to achieve the same thing I think so yeah it's very important. I'm Trent Priest, an assistant manager at Flora Valley, just on the WANT border. And this is your second time back, actually. Why did you come back for, for more? So for the first year when I did this, it was obviously just getting, getting all the information and taking it in, and then last year put all that knowledge to use, and then now coming back and being able to really expand on all them things and just still develop because you can always develop and you never stop learning so being able to have all the tools and now really develop and expand on that to become a good leader and a good role model for a lot of people. Station stock camps uh, are changing Um, there's more women taking on those roles have you noticed a change Trent in in how stock camps run because of that? Um, Not necessarily a change it it's all a good thing. Like I think that it's not just male dominated. Like I've worked for some very, very well, well worked women, and they've done done very successfully in what they've done. And and I credit them to where they are. And I don't see anything wrong with more women coming in. I think it's a very good thing for the industry, and and it creates that versatility as well. Like it, and women can be more patient with a lot of things and. And they are very useful on the station. So, And as a young woman working in the cattle industry, Maddie, uh, how do you see opportunities for, for moving up the ranks and into more leadership positions? Uh, I think women coming up in ag is amazing to see. Um, growing up, it was always a very male-dominated field. And like Trent said, you know, anyone is capable on taking on a leadership role. It's all about how much hard work you want to put in. At the end of the day, you're not going to get a role if you're not putting in that hard work. And there are many women that I look up to and see on stations and just think, wow, they've done this. Um, and they've put in the hard work, they've put in the hard yards, and it's it, nothing comes easy. But I think it's great to see so many women in ag uh, wanting to come up and change and just change how it's perceived. 
Uh, not everyone's going to see that. There is still some old traditional ways, but like, you know, Haysbury is really great for putting anyone that wants to work up to it. I think being a young mum can cause some difficulties across the board for some people, but if, if you want to put in the effort, you'll get there. Maddie Staff, she is an overseer at Nicholson Station Outstation. It's the outstation of Flora Valley, which is out on the NTWA border near Halls Creek. And she was speaking there with Max Rowley. She's one of the young female leaders in the cattle industry. And after one o'clock, uh, we were aiming to cross to Uramina Station, where there's a whole bunch of rural women gathered for an International Women's Day lunch. But it is time now for a tune, um, but up next after Fanny Lumston, uh, we're going to cross to a station on the Barclay that's having a very wet week. Fanny Lumsden there with Fierce. This is the Country Hour on ABC Radio right across the Territory. We're also available via the podcast, the ABC Listen app, Channel 25 on your telly. Lots of ways to tune in. My name is Dan Fitzgerald, and thanks a lot for your company. Well, the tropical low is still in the Queensland side of the Gulf and Terrier, but uh, it is still dropping some rain on stations sort of in that NT Queensland border country on the Barclay. Uh, There is a severe weather warning out for a small trip strip of the territory along that border with heavy rainfall that could lead to flash flooding through to the early afternoon. Midi Bar Station, it had around 50 millimetres overnight and was still drizzling when I spoke to Danny, Danielle Doyle earlier there today. Yeah, it's very, very wet and windy here at the moment. It's Yeah, we've had wet days every day in March so far. Uh, the rivers, we've had water views all, all of March. The river's been up for, for days now and it did drop a little bit yesterday, but I'm thinking it might come back up again tonight. And, um, yeah, it was just quite wet and windy last night. We had about 50 mil of rain overnight and it drizzled all day yesterday. So it's very soggy indeed here. And how close is that water to our homestead infrastructure? Yeah, so the river's right behind our house. That's the Playford River. But it, we, you know, for it to come up into buildings, it's gonna have to be massive because all of our buildings are up off the ground, and it sort of just gets to our grass behind our house fence yard. So yeah, it's been right up nearly to the fence, but now it's dropped back a little bit overnight. So there's not much movement for uh, the people on the station for the last few days? No, definitely not. No, just going from building to building in in drizzly rain and gumboots. So what does all this rain mean for the station for this season? Oh, fingers crossed it means a great season, Dan. Uh, we've had very dry seasons for about sort of six years and especially out to our east where the rain just didn't want to fall out there at all. So it kind of looked like a moonscape. So things are struggling to grow out there. But fingers crossed, this uh, is good news for us. So uh, on, a, on a day like this, um, when it is just wet, um, what, what's the crew up to? 
Well, thankfully, we don't have a massive crew here at the moment. We've got sort of three people. We've got our governess and myself. My husband is in town sort of waiting to try and get back in, plus another couple of people. But, I mean, you can't even fly a plane or a chopper in this weather. So, yeah, they'll be sitting in there for a bit longer. But, yeah, just sort of doing a bit of cleaning and probably watching movies. And I'm just in the kitchen cooking, doing what I normally do. So, yeah, not much happening. Danielle Doyle from Mitty Bar Station out on the Barclay, uh, just over the border in Queensland's Gulf Country. Uh, some huge rain overnight has pushed some rivers to record heights, forcing evacuations of some locals, with others preparing their properties for potential inundation. Falls of more than 300 millimetres in 24 hours in the Nicholson, the Gregory and Leichhardt catchments. Uh, has come on top of some already swollen creeks and rivers and it is still raining there this afternoon. Floraville Station is on the banks of the Leichhardt, just south of Burgtown, and owner Kylie Camp is preparing for water to potentially come through buildings at her home. Berkshire's got a like, massive catchment area. It's got rivers on the eastern side where we're located that come up from Mount Isa and through the hills there at Cloncurry. Um, north of Cloncurry, Mount Isa, through Lake Julius into here. Um, and, and the other side, the western sides or central western side, they've got multiple catchments. So this is much more complex. So some of these come from the territory, um, over in the territory where we know there's already massive rain and there's more predicted. So that'll be affecting. Um, but they also then come from Camel Wheel um, and, and that area as well, Riversley, Lawn Hill and all up through. So we've got it. And then also up from like Westmoreland, everything on the Northern Territory border up that way as well and all down. And we've already been cut off since end of December, except for a couple of narrow windows of opportunity when something's gone down enough that we could get a resupply truck, two resupplies in and out by the skin of our teeth into the town. Um, But basically we've been cut off due to flooding. So we're already well and truly saturated. And now we've had this massive flood event basically in for the whole of March and um, it's showing no sign of stopping and certainly not stopping in the catchment area and just at Florable since the 1st of March, so in a a week, we've had 382 mil. That is Kylie Camp from Floraville Station in Queensland's Gulf Country. There's been a lot of rainfall over that way, yeah, 300 millimetres plus in some locations in the last 24 hours or so. We'll get the latest on what is happening with that low um, up after the one o'clock news when we cross to the Weather Bureau at our regular time. ABC Listen. So uh, what's the craziest question you've ever been asked on the Dr Carl podcast? We've had everything from prawn allergies to urine volume and what turned out to be giant cosmic vacuum cleaners. We've had an AI writing a sassy email, cheese causing weird dreams. The background is that nothing is really impossible in science. Dr Carl and Dr Lucy have all the answers on the Dr Carl podcast. Find it on the ABC Listen app. Now, we heard yesterday that Australian farmers have produced their most valuable year yet, growing $90 billion worth of food and fibre, according to the commodity forecaster ABES. But some in the fisheries and seafood sector say that that figure well, could have been even higher, and they're calling for a change to the data collection methods to fully grasp the growth 
that Australia's aquaculture industry is going through. Fisheries Research and Development Corporation's Patrick Hone told Alice Marshall where the discrepancies he sees in the ABARES data lies. So currently the commercial value according to ABARES in the report that came out today is around about $3.55 billion. Unfortunately, the, behind every number, there is a lot of missing numbers. And I think the thing that we note today is that there's a lot of industries that aren't counted in that statistic, uh, particularly the seaweed, emerging industries, the vertically integrated industries. So we don't see, like in uh, grapes, the wine value, if that makes sense. So we don't see the vertically integrated value. Um, if we look to the future, so the number right now and what it could be next year and the year after, just in the Atlantic salmon industry alone, we know by the number of fingerlings in the hatcheries right now that we're expecting 15% growth in the next 18 months. And yet the data today was saying it's going to flatline. Nevertheless, if we look across all the sectors, prawn farming, barra farming, Murray cod farming, seaweed farming, if you look at the current investment and you realise that as a gross value of production in the next one, two, five and ten years, every one of those sectors is growing at 10 plus. Some of those sectors are growing at 50% plus and some are growing at 100%. Now when you're on a low base, for example Murray cod, you're relatively low, you can grow at quite high percentages, that makes sense. Uh, and some sectors which are more mature, like salmon, which are already billion-dollar industries, are only growing at 12%. I'd love to get 12% on my money. Yeah, 12% is still quite a lot. 12% is still amazing growth. Um, So that's fish farming. Wild catch sector is still growing. It's often not talked about. And the opportunity to grow wild catch and integrate it with our uh, recreational value, which is roughly about $11 billion. But the wild catch sector is still a really, really important part. And so we've spoken about the growth that we can see is going to happen over the next couple of years in fisheries. Can we see that same, like, have we got figures when it comes to the growth in the aquaculture industry? Because ABES has nothing on aquaculture at this stage. Yeah, look, I think, so. I th- like a lot of um, new industries, I think governments take a while to catch up. So to be fair to government, they work on, let's say, uh, you know, traditional data sets. They have a whole lot of codes that they love to code things by. There isn't even a code for a seaweed farmer. So they go under a thing called hunting and fishing bizarre. So how do we actually get codes so we can actually start measuring their employment, their value and to do that we're going to have to have changes in how we run the digital world. The digital world at the moment is still running on an analogue system it's still the old paper system and they just write it down in a digital spreadsheet it doesn't work so we're going to have to recode our digital landscape so that we can start capturing these new and emerging industries. Why is it important? Because if we don't capture their value in jobs in regional Australia, people who are in policy making will make poor decisions about people's future life. And so without good data, how can people make good decisions? It could be healthcare, schooling, it could be roads, infrastructure, freezers, electricity, whatever it is. Without good data to inform people what's happening in regional Australia with these new industries, we won't make good decisions. Patrick Hone, he is the Managing Director of the Fisheries Research and Development Corporation. Well, Seafood Australia's Industries, Aquaculture and Policy Project Officer Julie Petty, she says the industry is un- undergoing a period of rapid growth and has some big goals for its production 
According to ABS statistics, industry is currently sitting around $3 billion in production value. Um, our target is to double that by 2030. And how do you plan on doing that? So there's a few things, I guess, at foot. Um, One is we're seeing uh, a large increase in volume volume within the aquaculture sector. It's recently taken over Wildcourt as the most, um, the higher value portion of the industry. I think currently sitting around 52%. It might have just increased a little bit more recently. So we're seeing um, a high increase in the number of um, applications for licences, permits, that sort of stuff, to go out um, and start um, in the aquaculture sector and across, in across a variety of um, industries. So those industries might be whether it's seaweed like asparagopsis or algae, those kind of industries? Are they the main ones? Yes, we're seeing um, according to some of the I guess my contacts that I'm talking to, we're seeing a large increase in the number of applications around seaweed licences that might include algae as well. We're seeing a diversification too of existing aquaculture producers who might be producing say um, salmon, tuna or kingfish uh, diversifying their businesses into algae and seaweed production as well. Julie Petty, she is with the uh, GC Aquaculture Policy and Project Officer of Seafood Industry Australia. And she was speaking there to our reporter, Alice Marshall, at the A-Bears conference in Canberra. Aussie kids once rode their bikes to the corner shop. Welcome to our store. For some flour, the paper, some lollies. Where'd everything go? Join Annabelle Crabb to step back through time with the Ferone family. Voila. As they run a corner shop. <laughs> Look at your face. Ferone and son, where is the daughter? Back in time for the corner shop. We're used to running our own business. How could it be? Tuesday nights on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. G'day, it's Trent here from Catherine, and I'm here feeding Old Mate the Crocodile. Yes, Old Mate is actually his name. He's 2.4 metres and he's a saltwater crocodile. You wouldn't want to meet one of these fellas late at night. Take it easy, you're listening to the Country Hour. Just a quick roads update for you before we head to the news. The Victoria Highway is still closed at the Buntine Highway to the Western Australian border because of that flooding in the Victoria River. The entire stretch of the Buntine is closed from that Vic Highway intersection all the way to WA through Kalkarindji and Top Springs. Uh, the Stewart Highway has some water over the road just to the north and to the south of Tennant Creek, so please be careful if you're out on the Stewart this afternoon, same goes for the Barkley Highway. Uh, there's water over the road at a bunch of intersections and the road has been damaged quite significantly in some of locations. So, yeah, just watch out if you're driving along the Barkley. And the Roper Highway, it is still closed due to flooding just from the Stewart Highway intersection. Stick with us here on the Country Hour because up after the news we'll be checking with the Weather Bureau to find out... Uh, the latest terms of rainfall and flooding. Right now, time for the news. My name's Ashley from Bam Bam Spring Station. I'm Jacqueline Dakin from Anthony Lagoon. I'm Georgie from Catherine. And you're listening to the Country Hour. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot for joining me here on the program 
this Wednesday, the International Women's Day. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. And coming up soon, we're going to be heading out to Uramina Station, out to, to the south of Alice Springs, where there's a whole group of big group of women enjoying a lunch for International Women's Day. Our reporter, Victoria Ellis, is on the ground. We'll be crossing to her soon. And we'll also catch up with the third finalist for the NT Rural Women's Award, Nicole Brown. You'll hear her story before the end of the program today. But before all that, let's check in with what the weather's doing, where we've got Sally Cutter on deck today. How are you going, Sally? Not too bad, thanks. That's the way. Um, Let's head out into the Gulf country. Uh, What is that tropical low up to? Uh... You could say not much because it's just sitting there. It's, it, it is moving, but it's moving pretty slowly. So we, we're just seeing it will go. Not, not, it's not going round in circles. It's just spinning. So it's, it's probably the best way to describe it. But there's a big band of thick cloud and we rain under there. It's on coming along a trough through southwest Queensland and just tucking into the NT. And so we've got a severe weather warning out for heavy rainfall, but we've also got more generalised flood watch through eastern parts of the NT for that rain that's not meeting those rainfall rates to cause flash flooding, but just the totals will start to accumulate to decent falls through that area. Yeah, and some a lot of that country is already pretty wet after last week um, copping a drenching. Yep. I'm just looking at the satellite. There's a clear bit of or clearish bit of sky between the low and some storms going up through Catherine that went up through the Gregory this overnight. And if you squint and, uh, and use a little bit of imagination, I reckon you can see the, the rivers through or creeks through that area where there were some big rainfalls a few days back. But we still got the flood warning for the MacArthur River at Borrowlaw as well. So there's we've got minor flooding there. So there's still flooding issues to, around that area. Yep, and we've still got flood warnings out for the Victoria River um, and also, yeah, how's the daily looking? Uh, The daily is, we had some good rainfall to 9am yesterday and that's had a little peak in the the river and then there's been boom crossings still gone up. It's not going to really have much impact down at Daly River Police Station and it might just slow the... So the the dropping of the water levels a little bit, but gen it's not going to have the big impacts, and they are it's got that it is gradually going to be dropping. The Victoria River has only got about a meter before, or a bit under a meter before it exposes the bridge or gets down to deck bridge deck level. So that's that is dropping. That's peaked now. So we should know see in the next uh, 24 hours or so the to, as the deck emerges what's happened there. Yeah, yeah, that'll be a close one to watch on. Um, I've been told that there is some damage on the road in between Victoria River and Timber Creek, so that road might not open um, as quick as uh, as soon as the bridge deck is seen. Um, in terms of rainfall in the next few days, Sally, um, what are things looking like? Well, things are easing off. We've had a cool change go through southern parts of the NT, and it's a bit windy down there today, and that's what's, of course, a little bit of elevated fire dangers through the Simpson district. But that dry air is starting to poke up into the the top end, and that's what's partly caused that, so that dry 
almost a dry wedge wrapping around the the low. And it's just going to move a little bit further north. So we're going to see the showers and storms contract to the north and west coast predominantly. There might be a little bit further inland, but we're going to, it's not only going to be dry air to higher up in the atmosphere, it's also going to be some drier air down where we are. So it'll, it'll give us a couple of nights of cooler nights just because things can cool down a little bit more. So it's so just a bit of relief from the humidity. Unfortunately, it's probably going to come back again next week. But for the next few days, once we get past the so to, tomorrow, still a reasonable chance around to the northwest top end. But certainly in those areas where the flooding is, particularly through the Brawlula area, that should be easing off as the low weakens and moves off to the east. And then on the in the daily district, things are, are gradually going to be easing off. Might still be a few showers around, but there's not going to be any to big widespread things that like what's caused all the issues. Yeah, okay, for the for the next few days. Um, Sally, I had a, uh, a keen fisho really wants to know if uh, we've seen the last monsoonal burst for the wet season. I can't rule out another one. The, we've got time for the MJO to get back around. The, one of the, the models is suggesting that it, it only goes up until the beginning of April, the, the model. So it's going to have another burst through the Indian Ocean at that stage, but it's quite strong, so it might make its way across into the the top end to early April, but it's a case of watch this space, I think. We can't be sure about anything at the moment, but there is still the potential we'll see another one. It's just to, And don't forget, we have the cyclone season does go right through to the end of April, and Cyclone Monica came through Darwin on Anzac Day. Mm. So it's we've still got those possibilities out there. Yeah, potentially, potentially uh, plenty of wet still yet to come. Um, yeah. You mentioned, yeah, dry surge coming through uh, central Australia there. It looks like some decent, nice weather, low 30s in the Alice today, but sort of heating up towards the weekend, hey? Yeah, unfortunately it's heating up for those that are tired of the, the high temperatures. The We do have a bit of a trough approaching. It sort of struggles to come through, but it's going to be to just just enough to turn the winds a little bit more northerly and just warm things up. Okay. Anything else we need to know today, Sally? No, just keeping an eye out and ear out for warnings that we do issue because there are still storms around. They are moving, so the risk of heavy rainfall is significantly reduced, apart from down around the low. But just, just be just be aware that... There is still storms out there, the, and if we do see them going to be gusty or anything like that as well, we will also be putting a warning out for those. Okay. Thanks for keeping us up to date, Sally. That's okay. That is Sally Cutter there at the Weather Bureau. It is 12 minutes past one here on the Country Hour. G'day. My name's Amy Kirk. I study sharks, and I bloody love them, and you're listening to the Country Hour. You're tuned into the Country Hour on ABC Radio right across the Territory. We're also on the ABC Listen app and available via the podcast to download at any time of your choosing. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. Thanks a lot for joining me. Let's head out to Urimina Station now, out to the south of Alice Springs, where a big group of women from stations across the region have gathered for a lunch in honour of International Women's Day. And our reporter there... In Alice Springs, Victoria Ellis has made the trip to Uramina. Uh, g'day there, Tori. Uh, can you tell us 
what's happening? Hey Dan, yes, the sun is shining and the energy is high here at Uramina Station. Lots of the ladies have frocked up and they've got on lipstick and sunglasses and we couldn't be luckier with the weather. It's absolutely stunning. There's about 70 people who've come to this International Women's Day lunch. They hopped off the bus not long ago while the sister suffragette song, which you might remember from the Mary Poppins movie, was playing. So it's definitely a playful and fun start. Soon the ladies are going to be sitting down to eat. I can smell it cooking now. It's making my tummy grumble. <laughs> and we're going, then there, ladies, they're going to hear from Tanya Heaslip, who is the guest speaker today. And Tanya is the author of three memoirs and a Wonder Woman extraordinaire who grew up on Bond Springs Cattle Station north of Alice Springs in the 60s and 70s. I've actually got Tanya with me here now. How are you going today, Tanya? Oh, hi, Tori. Great. It's wonderful to be here. So you're going to be talking about your books today. What is it that you think are the key themes from some of those books that relate to International Women's Day? Oh, well, actually, all three of my books talk about the amazing women here in Central Australia that I grew up with and those who came before me and paved the way. I think perhaps the second book, An Alice Girl, speaks to it most of all because it is set in the 60s and 70s. Uh, the women who, who came to Central Australia back then were so gutsy and visionary and courageous. And so I just, I loved writing about them because I wanted to tell their stories. Unsung heroes or heroines, actually. And do you think that life on the land as a woman is a perspective that people hear from enough around Australia or that people understand? No. I think um, if you live in a city, you have no concept of what it's like to live on the land and no concept in particular of what it's like to live in the outback because the outback's worth like 1,600 kilometres um, east and west from any capital city. Um, it's, we're so isolated. And um, you know, in the olden days, when my mum first came here, it was even more isolated than it is now. So you have to have tenacity, you've got to have guts, you've got to love this country, and you've got to be a tough woman to survive here. And how is that different uh, from an experience that a man might have in Central Australia? Uh, just as tough for a man... Um, but Central Australia and all bush, actually all outback areas within Australia, have lent themselves to men, explorers, um, people, pioneers coming in the early days. The women who came um, were here without support. They had children without support. They had to provide food. They had this unbelievably tough existence that men became more easily acclimatised to. The women would be left sometimes for months on end looking after the children while the men went away droving. It was a very solitary and lonely existence. And what traits do you think that women needed to have to really survive? Oh, that they... Sheer guts... Um, Molly Clark, for example, one of the founding um, members of the Women's Hall of Fame in Alice Springs, Old Andado Station. Her husband died, uh, Old Andado Station, I should say, is in the middle of the Simpson Desert. It's just surrounded for miles and miles by red sand. And her husband died when she had two little boys and she had to bring them up in the middle of nowhere um, without her husband, without anything, and she survived. So just sheer grit and guts and a vision and a love for this country or you would give up. And why do you think it's important to reflect on these things as we are also celebrating International Women's Day? Because these are such unsung 
heroines. I think the women I grew up in with and the women who came before me did not have any of the opportunities that I was lucky enough to have. Um, women now are lucky enough to have. Uh, and it's so important their stories are told to remind us of what we can do if we set our minds to it, what we can do in tough times, how we can draw deep and we can succeed and make things happen. And what do you want to make happen in the next generation? Um, increasingly tough women I think you just well speaking for Central Australia um, the women here again taking their place alongside the men in roles of government in in not just political roles but um, all all kinds of business roles running businesses having their voices heard speaking out um, still the backbone of this country but with more of a voice and are there any particular role models female role models who you look up to at the moment uh, well, I have to say that my, well, I have three major role models that, that actually came before me. Um, Adelaide Mietke, who set up School of the Air with her vision, without whom I'd never would have been educated. Um, Mrs Hodder, who was my School of the Air teacher, again, ditto. And my mother, who made opportunities for me, even though we lived on, you know, on a cattle station and my whole life was spent on the back of a horse, but she she enabled me to have opportunities. And so I think if you're lucky enough to have those opportunities, I hope I can be a role model to others. And if you could leave one message in the mind of the Country Hour listeners today, what would it be? Central Australia is so beautiful. It's tough, but it's beautiful. Come and visit us. I love that. <laughs> and Tanya, I better let you get back and get ready for your speech. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Tori. Loved it. As you can see, Dan, it's going to be a fantastic International Women's Day event here at Oramina Station, and everybody is very keen to hear what Tanya has to say. Thanks a lot for that, Tori. Victoria Ellis is our reporter in Alice Springs. And speaking to us there from an International Women's Day event down there at Uramina, out to the south of Alice Springs. It is 20 minutes past one. Hi, I'm Sophie. I work at Monsoon Aquatics and I love working with giant clams. You're listening to Country Hour. I'm now on the program for a tune, and up after that, we are going to be hearing from one of the finalists in the 2023 NT Rural Women's Awards. Tell you more after Sarah Stora with Dust Kids. Sarah and Greg Stora there with Dust Kids. This is the Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald. Broadcasting right across the Territory this Wednesday lunchtime. It is coming up to 24 minutes past one. Now, all this week on the program, we are featuring finalists in the 2023 NT Rural Women's Award. And today we've got Nicole Brown. Uh, She is a woman who does, well, a whole bunch of things. It is quite hard to put it into a quick little sentence to sum it all up. Uh, So I'll let her introduce herself. Uh, my name's Nicole Brown. I'm a proud First Nations woman of Larrakia, Mullik Mullik and Yangua descent, born and bred in Darwin 38 years ago. What do I do? I can't do the 30-second elevator pitch. Uh, by day, I'm a business development manager with a local steel fabrication company. Shout out to Steelline GRP. Every other waking hour of my life, I fix problems. I amplify voices. I create opportunities for collaboration in my community. I activate spaces for people to come together safely. 
I love my community. I live, I breathe it. I want to see people living their best lives and thriving and hoping that I play a small role in that. A lot of your work is to do with uh, creating engagement between Indigenous uh, communities. Are you finding more people are reaching out to you to do that sort of work? There's definitely been this shift in narrative over the last couple of years. There is people wanting to, I guess, walk a more meaningful engagement with First Nations people. Uh, The referendum has definitely amplified that this year. And I think curiosity's gotten really, really high with a lot of allies really getting behind First Nations people. And so if there's more of an appetite for people wanting to engage more meaningfully with First Nations people, and I've got a really big following on social media, so I push a lot of different narrative out there about the First Nations people um, trying to share success stories, and I think people gravitate towards that. They want to know more, and in fact, you know, from there and organically that engagement comes. And what does it mean to you that that there is more people seeking that sort of engagement? makes me so proud that people are wanting to seek that engagement out. They're, again, curious. They they want to know how we live as people. And there's so much history there. People want to understand why we are the way we are. There's so many facets to being a First Nations person. And, you know, we are all proud of one another. We're all there to support one another. And I think it's time that the rest of Australia gets on board with that. And in terms of businesses that approach you, uh, what's your pitch to them in terms of what they'll get back um, in terms of that engagement? Working with, I guess, a lot of bigger businesses, they're getting access to grassroots level interactions. I'm out there on the ground doing a lot of community outreach, popping up on the side of the road with a barbecue trailer, cooking when I see a large number of people. You know, they are my countrymen. No matter where they're from, we're all one people. And I think people really want that kind of interaction, that making a difference, that human touch as opposed to ticking a box on a reconciliation action plan or, you know, having a photo at something without having to do anything. I feel that that human element of the work that I do in the community is what people gravitate towards. Now, as one of the finalists for the NT Rural Women's Awards, um, you're in the running for a uh, $15,000 bursary to uh, spend on a project of your own choosing. If you're announced the winner, um, what are you hoping to do with that, with that grant? I'm hoping to amplify the voices of First Nations women around Australia, not only the Northern Territory. Again, we've got some amazing First Nations women here. Off the top of my head, I'm looking at the Naria Kits of the world, the Leanne Littles, the Nicole Huxes, people that I look up to. So having this layer of powerful, influential First Nations women interacting with young girls in schools and really teaching them and sharing their stories with younger girls, that's what I'm planning to do. So I guess by highlighting the success stories of First Nations women leaders, our young women can, if you can see it, you can be it. So leaders, creating that next generation of strong First Nations female leaders is what I'll be investing that award money in if I was to be successful. Nicole Brown, she is one of the finalists of the 2023 NT Rural Women's Award. The other finalists we heard from this week were Simone Cameron and Eileen Breen.
So good luck to all those three women. The winner will be announced tomorrow. So stay tuned to the Country Hour for that tomorrow. Uh, That's about all we have time for on the Country Hour today. Uh, There is a severe weather warning out still for heavy rainfall and flash flooding in the Barkley region. Uh, That tropical low, it is still sitting in that Gulf of Carpentaria country, dropping a lot of rain. There was a a place just across the Queensland border that had 300 millimetres of rain in the last 24 hours. It's a whole lot of rain. And as we heard on our chat with the weather, Sally Cutter said that may not be the last monsoonal burst we get this wet season. There is a small chance that uh, there'll be another one to come. Turning out to be quite a wet season for a lot of cattle stations. That's it for the show today. I'll be back on your radio and on the podcast tomorrow. Take it easy.